Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. As we think about the, the power of the resurrection and resurrection power. You recall that Jesus, on this day we celebrate, the Sunday before Easter, that he rode into Jerusalem on this donkey and they had this, what we typically call the, the triumphal entry, that we, we have all this celebration. And Luke records it this way. And, as he, and now as he was drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, quote, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I mean, it was like the pinnacle of worship and celebration of Jesus coming. And then there's always someone that shows up to reign on the parade. Have you noticed that? Have you experienced that in life? Oh, isn't that a lovely flower? Well, they'll be dead soon. Isn't this great food? I hope it doesn't give us all heartburn. You know, there's always just somebody just to kind of like to be the downer in this. So here they are. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet. Because in the Pharisees' mind, Jesus did not deserve this kind of praise. They didn't believe, believe he was the king who was coming in the name of the Lord. They didn't believe that he should be receiving this kind of praise. And they said, just be quiet. Here's Jesus' response. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should, be, should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And by the way, that's not a metaphor. That is reality. That would have taken place on the spot. Because Jesus was going to receive praise. God the Father was going to ensure that he received praise. But there's always somebody who shows up, particularly the Pharisees and the Gospels, that show up to kind of like try to poke a hole in everything. Well, there's two occasions we're going to look at in some detail this morning, both in which Jesus is addressing the subject of his coming resurrection. And in both cases, there's somebody showing up to kind of like be the critic. You and I should not be shocked that we live in a world where there are people who are critics of our faith. People that think we are, we are just way outside the norm. We are, on the, we, are the, we are the deed, are the fringe group, okay? We are the one that are spouting theories about things that are just, just off the wall. So we not, should not be surprised by that. Some of that just comes in general. There's just people in life that believe that their role in life is to always be a critic of things. I remember a, a quote I heard from Harry Truman, who was president back in the late 40s and 50s. And he had an ongoing kind of feud with the press of his day, which seems to be a recurring theme for people in office. And he was always complaining about the press. And he said one time to a group of people, he said, if I went out tonight and walked on water, tomorrow the newspaper headline would, would be, Harry Truman cannot swim. You know, there's always somebody that just sort of kind of pokes at you that way. Well, in John chapter 2, and I trust that you have made your way there, the Lord Jesus has done something rather spectacular and rather bold because he has come into the temple of God and he is going to clean house. Verse 13, John 2. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple... Those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he'd made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. 
They would made it into like, it was like the mall, okay? Just you buy whatever, sell everything, everyone's making money. They'd lost all spiritual perspective of what should have been going on in this place that was reserved for the house of God. And verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Literally, you're going to have to prove that you have the authority to be messing with our system. By what right do you have to come in and overthrow these tables and spill the money and drive out the animals? What are you doing? Why do you have that? Didn't Jesus make this statement? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, they are confused about that, and if you didn't know the rest of the story, you and I may be confused, but the two things that key off in our mind is three days and raised up. Okay, so we already, we're already getting that. There's verse 20. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Verse 21, John inserts the commentary for us. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the words and the word which Jesus had said. Later, after the fact, they remembered, oh, yeah, that's what he said. He was talking not about, about this building he was in, but the temple of his body. And he does it in sort of a veiled way. And that's part of a, of a thing to, so that those who are believing and who are interested and those who are wise can detect the truth and understand it. Those who are on the outside rejecting it, it's somewhat veiled from them. And he did this sort of duality of communication, oftentimes in the, in the Gospels you see in this story. But he says, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, it says that in the text, and in three days I will raise it up. So the power of the resurrection was in play, and what did it do to the disciples? You see that in 22. They remembered that he'd said this, end of the verse, they believed the scripture and the word which he had said. They believed and they hung on to the fact that this was his word. This was truth. Now, let's think for a moment, okay? Then we'll get into the application. Anybody could say, if you kill me, in three days I will raise from the dead. Anybody could say it, right? However, you understand there's going to come a moment in time whether that's going to be proved real or not. There's really only three, at this moment when Jesus speaks these words, there's only three alternatives of his mental condition and his motivation that's really in play. One, he could just be crazy. He really thinks he's going to raise from the dead, but that is not going to happen. That's just the, the spoutings of a crazy person. Or two, it could be the statement of someone who was a counterfeit. He knew he wasn't going to raise from the dead, but he just said it anyway, just for whatever reason. So he's either a crazy person or a counterfeit, or if he raises from the dead in three days, he's going to be considered king of kings and lord of lords. He's either a counterfeit, crazy, or king. Yet that's the only choices you have. Now, there are some people, by the way, who want to make the case, well, Jesus, I'm, I want to give him respect, okay? I'm going, to give him some, I'm going to give him his due. He was a great man, great historical figure. He taught some things about love and compassion and, and all that. But I don't, I, you know, to, to believe he raised from the dead, to believe that he was God in flesh, I, that's, that's, that's pushing it a little too far. Well, if you give him respect and don't believe in the resurrection, you're saying he's either crazy or he's a counterfeit, morally defective or mentally defective. But if he rose again the third day, the only option you have, the only conclusion you can reach, the only thing you can say for sure is he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, God's Son, the one who came to save us from our sins. 
So that, that, that sort of trilemma, sometimes we call it, is in play right here. What are you going to do with it? The Pharisees rejected it, but the disciples saw it after the fact, and that's the reason they came to believe. Number one, the resurrection can dispel our doubts. This is how the power of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection can have an effect right now in our life. It should dispel our doubts. Because if no matter what we're going through in life, if we can run back to this reality, this is what we believe, this is where we stand, this is what we know, that Jesus was dead and buried, and three days later he rose from the grave just as he predicted, just as he promised, that should settle our souls into this reality that we can believe and trust in him no matter what. Let me just give some examples. Let's talk about some examples. First of all, he can dispel our doubts even when our hurts cause us to doubt God's love. And sometimes we get so stung and so burned and so scarred and so battered and so bruised by life that we just kind of feel like, well, God couldn't love me. How can a loving God allow me to experience this? How can a loving God, we, you could expand that into the whole world. How, if God's a loving God, how can there be such turmoil in the world, such death and destruction and evil? I mean, where's God's love in, in play? We understand this is not based on our perception or our feeling. It's based on what the Word of God says about him, and the Word of God is verified. Why? Because we have a living, risen Savior. Jesus is alive is the marker. Jesus that is alive is the, is the symbol. Jesus is alive is the, is the certification. Jesus is alive is that which authenticates the reality of everything else we're called to believe. And if our world and our hurts and our pain and our difficulties drive us to say, well, where's God's love in this? We can, we, can, we can deal with our hurts and we can understand them. And we can also understand that Jesus went through some hurts to get us to the point where we are now, didn't he? He was rejected. He was lied about. He was abused. He was mistreated. He was beaten. He was unjustly condemned. He was nailed to a cross and had to be buried in a barred grave. Why? To accomplish all that God had. But out of that hurt and out of that pain comes redemption for sinners like us. So we need to keep running back to this reality. When our, when our doubts are in play and we think, well, where's the love of God? He loved us enough for that his son would go through what he did on the cross and that's what we're going to celebrate this coming Friday. And then three days later, that's what we'll celebrate next Sunday together. He was raised by the power of God. And he is alive. He is alive. Amen. He is alive forevermore. And doubts. We can put it in another place. When our confusion causes us to doubt God's plan. Lord, I, I don't, I mean, my life is so chaotic and I don't know what the next step is. I'm seeking for direction. I don't know what's going on. And maybe you're there, maybe you've been there, maybe you're about to be there, maybe you feel like you're always there. But you know what? God does have a plan. He had a plan that's stated right here. This is the plan. Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. That was part of the plan. And the fact that he fulfilled that, that was fulfilled in reality, gives us this assurance that there is a plan. I don't have to see all the plan. I don't have to know all the plan. That's a good thing because we know so little of it. We just see little snapshots. And one of the mistakes we make, I make it too, okay, is we, we kind of measure our confidence in God by what's going on in my life. Now, I, my life matters to me. I know my life matters to other people who love me. I appreciate that. But uh, there's probably no one in China right now that's really worried about my life, okay? There's probably not, no one, you know, in, in, you, know, any, you know, off in some distant place, okay? You know, it's a, my life is a pretty, has a very small footprint. 
but it matters to us. But you understand, God is at work in ways that are way beyond my little life. Doesn't mean that God doesn't care, doesn't mean that God's involved, doesn't mean that God's not involved in what we're doing, but sometimes God is up to a bigger picture than I can see. And that's what matters. You take a child and you set him down at the table and you say, eat your vegetables. My poor mother, she had to endure this with me too, okay? You know, I, I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat, what I didn't want to eat, I didn't want to eat. But you've got to eat this stuff because it's good for you. You ask any six-year-old and they will tell you they would disagree with that theory. They would disagree that mom and dad really has a, pl a plan that's for my benefit. But hopefully mom and dad have a bigger plan to understand that you need to eat a balanced diet and so forth. And I'm not going to give you any further dietary advice because I'm definitely not qualified. But suffice it to say, there's a bigger plan than we often see. And we need to connect to this plan because he had a plan to save us. He had a plan for Jesus to pay the sin, sins, the sin price for us. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He had to die. He rose again to verify that he was who he was, that all the promises are intact. And if Jesus can get Think about this. I, want you to, I don't want to just say this. I want you to really listen. If you're about to doze off, wake back up just for one more sentence, okay? If Jesus, through his blood shed on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, can get you from here to heaven, I suspect he can get us from here to the end of the day. Do you think? And he can get us to the end of this year. And he can get us to the end of whatever our lifetime expansion is, whether it's a few days or many years. He is faithful. He has a plan. And it's all verified by this. The power. Lord, may I know the power of the resurrection. And that your resurrection power says you have a plan. I don't always see it. I don't always appreciate it. I don't always know it. I don't always get it. Sometimes I can't figure out what's next or what I should do and what not, not do. But Lord, I come back to this. I can dispel my doubts in your plan by the resurrection. Thirdly, sometimes our disappointment causes us to doubt God's ability. Lord, if, 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 if you really are strong enough, why didn't you do something different than what I saw that you did? Or, or why did you not intervene? Why did you not prevent? Why did you not change? Well, I don't know as I can answer all those questions. I don't know the mind of God. I don't know why he sometimes intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. Why does he heal one person and another person isn't healed? I don't know. Why do some people go through great tragedy and some people seem to not have to have that, that, that road in life? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is this. It's never a question of God's ability. It's never a question of whether he can do it or not do it. It's a question of his will, and sometimes he allows us to make choices, and he gives us free will to do things that sometimes are very harmful to ourselves and other people. But it's never a question about his ability. Okay? Understand that. It's never God's too weak. God was not paying attention. God wasn't on the ball. God didn't show up in time. It's left in his hands. How do we know that? It's the power of the resurrection. It's the reality that this resurrection power is available. And in this case, in this case that affects the destiny of every human being, what they do or don't do with Jesus, it affects the destiny of every human being. He rose from the dead, and that's resurrection power in play. So, the resurrection should dispel our doubts. Those disciples came to the place that they believed the Scripture and the word which he had said. Notice they weren't trusting in their own experience, their own record, their own disappointments, their own abilities, their own efforts. They were trusting in what he said to them in the scriptures and in his word spoken to them. Now, go over to Matthew chapter 12.
or back to Matthew 12, I should say. Here's a passage that's going to sound a lot like the passage we just listened to, although he gives a slightly different uh, bit of information to them, but it's the same sort of a thing. They want some sign. They want some sign. If you'll just show us some, some sign. Verse uh, 38 is where we're going to begin. We're going to condense this a little bit. Verse 38. Matthew 12, verse 38. Then some of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees, by the way, same basic bunch of people, answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Well, ignoring the fact that he had fed thousands of people out of one boy, little boy's lunch, that he had healed people of all kinds of diseases, that the blind had been given back their sight, that people had been relieved of demonic oppression, and on and on it goes. In spite of all that, we, we want a sign on our terms, in other words. We want to see it. Here's Jesus' answer. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three, days in the, three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, Jesus says a whole bunch of powerful stuff in a pretty short package. But notice what he says. Here's the sign that you're going to be given. The sign of Jonah. And again, we would get it. I'm not sure they would get it. Three days, he was three days and three nights in the bellies of the fish. The son of man himself speaking of himself, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, buried, but he's not buried permanently. He's buried for a very short period, very defined period of time. He's speaking of the resurrection. We obviously see that in the text. So they, want, they wanted a sign. They wanted a sign. And he says, this is, that, that means you're idolatrous. That means you're, uh, you're an evil generation. Because God really does not owe us a sign. God does not need to jump when we say jump. God does not have to react when we think he should. He's God, we're not. He made us, not the other way around. So that, that, it's, it's that part of respect. I remember years ago, I was in a conversation with a man I worked with at the time, and we were talking about spiritual things, and I kind of wanted to share some, some of the truth with him. And, and he finally says, you know what? I would believe that stuff if, if, I just, if, if, would just have, if God would just give me a sign. I just asked, well, what kind of sign would, would, it, would it take? He said, if God would just speak to me from heaven with an audible voice, then I'd believe that stuff. And I remember thinking, how sad. How sad. I mean, look around at what God made. Listen to the word of God. You know, interact with this reality. And more importantly, more importantly, God doesn't owe us a sign. And here is the sign. When he, these people who wanted a sign, Jesus says, this is the sign. Three days, rise again. What more do you need to prove that I am who I said I am? This is the sign. And then he, he puts it in light. Now, verse 41 and 42 are interesting. He talks about Jonah, the sign of, of Jonah. And he uses the three days to be that sign. And he talks about Nineveh in verse 41. Because when Jonah finally got where God wanted him to be, he preached to the people of Nineveh, a wicked city, Gentile city, a people that the people that were, Jesus was speaking to was like Ninevites. I mean, they're the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lowest, the out of the outest of the outcast, okay? 
they aren't believers in God, but Jesus said, they believed. He says, now greater than Jonah is here. Greater than that prophet. A greater prophet has arisen and you're looking at him. And what's going to verify it? Three days in the tomb, raising again. Right, being raised again. Secondly, he mentions this queen of the south. And this is a reference to a story that's back in 1 Kings chapter 10. When Solomon was the king. This is David's son who followed him as king afterwards. Solomon was considered, and God gave him great wisdom. He's considered the wisest man. And this queen of the south, probably down in Africa, comes up with a great entourage and great gifts, and she wants to see the, the magnificence of Solomon's kingdom and hear the magnificence of his wisdom. And she goes, and she makes a statement, only the half have been told me before I came. She's amazed at that. And then he makes this statement. This is the important part. A greater than Solomon is here. If you ask them to... Would Jonah be one of your heroes? Oh, yeah, he's a hero. Would Solomon be one of your heroes? Oh, he's a wise man, great king. But he's one of our heroes. He says, I'm greater than both of them. And you're not believing the sign. You're demanding a sign. And you will refuse to, to believe the sign of all signs, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. So that sets in context, context that. Now, what about us? The sign, the resurrection, the resurrection power, it should inspire our service. It should dispel our doubts. Secondly, it should inspire us to serve. Now, this reality of the resurrection, we don't have time to zip through it all, but if you go over to the book of Acts, when the church is spreading and the gospel is spreading, when that's all ongoing, there are seven sermons that are recorded in the text of Acts. It's a narrative. It's a history of the early church. Every one of those seven has as a major component of the message the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was core. It was central to what the people who were walking with Jesus, who heard this encounter, who recorded it in the text, Matthew being one of them, that is the reality that they came to believe and it's what launched them into the service of Jesus Christ. The New Testament itself, 26 books in the New Testament... Half of those books have as a major part of what it's teaching us by means of letters and other means is the resurrection of Christ, that Christ is risen from the grave. The resurrection is all over the place. And the resurrection is what empowered them to serve. And friends, the resurrection is what should motivate us and inspire us to serve our God in our day. Now let's think about three categories of that. First of all, it should inspire our service when our resources are needed. These men gave their livelihood, they gave their, their, their possessions, they gave their time, they gave, their career, gave up other careers, and they followed him and served him. That's what you see in the book of Acts, the disciples. For us, he will use our resources. That means sometimes it's our money that God wants us to give. And thank you again for the generous way that you give to support the work and support missionaries out there in the world and outreach things that we're doing in various places. Thank you for your giving. But it's not just money. It means your time. Sometimes many of us would give up t money much, much, more than, much quicker than we would our time because it's, it's a valuable commodity to us. Our time, our talents, our energies, our abilities, our opportunities, our resources. They gave everything for the Lord. What should motivate us to give to the Lord in all those categories and more? Jesus is alive. The resurrection is true. And not only that, the Bible tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus was on this earth for 40 days. During that period of time, he appeared to Peter and Mary Magdalene, the Eumaeus disciples, all the disciples, Thomas a week later. And Paul says it this way. At one time, he appeared more to more than 500 believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, at one time. 
probably that was when he was on the Mount of Olives getting ready to ascend because he says earlier he appointed a place that he'd meet him on a mountain. If I knew Jesus had an appointment and that he was risen from the dead, I think I could, I think I could carve out some time on my calendar to go see that, wouldn't you? If I knew, it's a predetermined appointment in place. I think I'd show up. So, so it's verified by these multiple witnesses that he rose from the grave and then he ascends into heaven and the New Testament tells us that he is now seated at the right hand of God doing three things. Number one, he's our advocate. He's the legal representative of our salvation and our security in, God, in, in him before God of all the accusations the devil may throw at us. Number two, he makes intercession for us. He prays for us. Think about this. Your name may not be a household name in the White House or in the State House or too many other houses, okay? But if you know Christ the Savior, your name passes the lips of Jesus Christ and reaches the ear of God the Father in the throne room of all throne rooms in the holiness of the holiest place there is in the presence of God. Why? Because he's alive, that's why. And not only that, thirdly, he says he is waiting this opportunity, eagerly anticipating whenever the moment is right to come back and take his people out of this, this world to do the things he's going to do and ultimately to set up his kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom. There's never been one ever before, and he will be that everlasting kingdom. All that is reality that pushes us to serve him. Third, secondly, it, we serve him when risk is involved. These men... And, and women that were his early disciples, they, they had great risk in serving Christ. Many of them gave their lives for being a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, for us, I mean, what's the worst most of us have experienced being a follower of Christ? Maybe someone has insulted us. I've been insulted before. But that's a pretty low bar, isn't it? I mean, I've, been insul I've never been assaulted. Maybe, maybe there might be a few of us that have been actually assaulted. But I think most, I mean, most of us haven't faced much of anything. But sometimes it's a risk. It'd be a risk to say that. It'd be a risk to do that. It'd be a risk to step into somewhere that I'm not real comfortable, to talk to somebody I don't know, to, to go and do something in a place that I'm not real familiar with. But you know what? What motivates us, what inspires us, it is this. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is alive forevermore. And sometimes when our reputation is on the line, of all things we would want to give up, some of us don't want to give up our reputation. I don't want people to think I'm weird I don't want people to think I'm a fanatic. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I'm just, I'm, I'm out of the norm. Well, first of all, most people aren't thinking about you anyway. You understand that? We, sometimes we think about, if we would care less about what people thought about us if we realized how little they actually do. And by the way, since when do other people's opinion of us really matter that much or count? Well, it does to us, so I want to feel good. Lay it aside. The only opinion that ultimately should matter, and I'm not immune to this either, okay? I'm just, I'm preaching to me, you're listening in, Okay? But the only opinion that should matter is what God's opinion to me, and he sees me wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus. And you could use us, all of us, in some way for his glory and for his purposes. So a reputation, sometimes a resources, risk, and reputation, but it comes back to this reality. As he says here in this text, no sign shall be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. That's Jesus pre-predicting his resurrection. By the way, Anybody could say anything about tomorrow. But tomorrow will reveal whether that prediction was accurate or not, right? I mean, I could say, you know, I, I just say, I could make up something and I could say it. But tomorrow, if it's not true, it's not true, right? I mean, Jesus could have predicted all kinds of things about his future. He could have even predicted his death 
and arranged to die in a certain way, as bizarre as that may sound. But there is one thing that no one can predict and arrange it to happen, and is that is simply this, that three days after their death, they would be raised back to life. Never been disproved, never been dismantled, been disparaged, yes, but the fact is, Jesus is alive. This is what can dispel our doubts. If we, and this is a great time of year to run back to the cross and just say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. Thank you that the resurrection is real, that you're at the right hand of God. And Lord, I have doubts, I have confusions, I have hurts, I have all that stuff. Lord, Lord, I want to believe you, I want to trust you. Why? Because I know you are alive. That's resurrection power. And to motivate us to serve, to inspire us to serve, in spite of the risks and the the potential damage to our reputation and the use of our resources, what motivates us, what inspires us, Jesus is alive. He went through all that for me. If you're here and you never trusted him as Savior, you need to access the power that's available to you because he wants to save you and change your life and change your destiny. The men that followed Jesus, the men and women that followed Jesus then, and the men and women who follow Jesus now have found him to be true because Jesus is alive. If you need him, we'd love to have a conversation with you to help you understand what it means, what it, what it means to become a follower of Christ, a believer in Christ, to be saved. Pastor Adam's going to stay right up here at the front. He's going to talk to you. Gave the announcements today. He could share with you. I'll be at the back. Pastor Tim's back there in the back. You may become a Christian friend. They could have that conversation with you. If you need Christ, put that off. Believer, Jesus is alive. That is resurrection power to dispel our doubts and to inspire our service. What we need to do is simply this. Access that power right now. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.